The impact that COVID-19 has had on low-income communities has not gone unnoticed. Programs such as Food to Kids, Feeding America, or No Kid Hungry have rapidly increased the number of meals they deliver to children across America. Nutrition and food access in low-income communities have been such an important topic in the current day. With the COVID-19 pandemic, those who are reliant on school lunches, lived in a food desert, or are unable to feed their families are forced to live on even less than they used to. Hi, welcome to our podcast. Today we will have Kate Ray, Jordan Daly, Prisha Nanda Kumar, Shiv Patel, and Holt Jones talking to you about nutrition and food access in low-income communities. Food access and nutrition are vital to the health of individuals. People living in food deserts have much less access to food and even less access to healthy food. An equally important role in the health of each individual is knowing which foods are actually healthy and how to make a conscious decision to eat those foods. There has been a decline in healthier food options in recent decades. People tend to buy more fast food due to the convenience and lower prices. Families that may not be out of work often cannot afford to buy healthy foods at grocery stores and may resort to unhealthy fast food. This culture shift to eating more and more fast food has caused an increase in obesity in the United States. According to the CDC, quote, from 1999 to 2000 through 2017 and 2018, the prevalence of obesity increased from 30.5% to 42.4%, and the prevalence of severe obesity increased from 4.7% to 9.2%, end quote. Obesity and socioeconomic status have a large correlation. People of lower socioeconomic status often have a smaller income, which leads to negative health effects. Less money coming in means there's less money to spend on groceries, so that money is often better spent in fast food restaurants. A study done by the American Journal of Preventative Medicine concluded that, quote, the link between fast food restaurants and black and low-income neighborhoods may contribute to the understanding of environmental causes of the obesity epidemic in these populations, end quote. Obesity can also be a problem with children who may rely on school lunches. The poorest school districts have a major impact on providing basic and essential needs for its students. In the Title I schools especially have major impacts on the children they teach through the National School Lunch Program. The Food Research and Action Center states that, quote, research shows that receiving free or reduced price lunch lunches reduced food insecurity, obesity rates, and poor health, end quote. Another study published by the U.S. National Library of Medicine states that, quote, Past studies indicate that introducing new farmers markets or farm stands in low-income communities can increase fruit and vegetable intake among the residents who live close to the farmers market. End quote. These farmers markets often sell genetically modified organisms or GMOs, which often lower the prices of fruits and vegetables because they are more readily available. GMOs often use less pesticides and therefore can actually be healthier than the average vegetable and it's for a lower price. The lack of nutrition and food access can be explained in three major factors. During this podcast, we will look at how education impacts the choice of which foods we eat, how geographic access to these foods determines our availability, and how the impact of financial freedom gives access to healthier foods. To begin this podcast, I will be talking about financial instability. 
Now, financial instability is one of the largest burdens for food access. With a limited budget to feed a whole family, many people were forced to buy the cheapest food. Um, and as many people may or may not know, the cheapest food is oftentimes the least nutritious but the most readily available. Now, with that, um, to combat lack of food access, the federal government, as well as state governments under President Johnson, called upon and developed the solution for those with financial insecurity and poverty. His plan was a permanent food stamp program, which was established um, in early January, excuse me, early 1964 as part of his War on Poverty proposition. And um, food, the food stamp idea had actually been around well before Johnson, even as early as the late 1930s, but Johnson was the one who was pivotal in passing it through Congress and legislate, legislator in order to get it to the American people. Um, in introducing the food stamps, um, Johnson sought to migrate that problem from poverty and food access and made it more readily available to the public. One example is that they can be used at grocery stores, which maximizes the health benefit of having healthy food options available, such as fruits and vegetables, um, to those people on food stamps. Food stamps were representing an opportunity for Americans to have access to obtain a low-cost yet nutritionally adequate diet at an affordable price. Even with food stamps and grocery stores promoting healthy and available food, there is often temptation to buy unhealthy food which was a major struggle with the food stamps. This is where nutritional knowledge and education come into play, as it is, pi as it is pivotal for education to be implemented so that citizens have the correct knowledge to make healthy food choices and decisions. And you also run into problems with food stamps, though, and that's the topic I'm going to go into now, which is despite the good food stamps do, there are downsides for food stamps and the programs such as selling them or using them for more unhealthy foods. One of the most common forms of food stamp fraud, known as food stamp trafficking, involves the illegal buying or selling of food stamp benefits for cash, drugs, weapons, or other items of similar value. And to combat this, the USDA has implemented policies um, for the selling of food stamps and you'll be faced with financial and legal consequences. Now, the consequences of that depend on how much is in your possession of like illegal food stamps. So for example, if you have $100 or more of illegal food stamps, you'll receive a felony, a fine, and possible jail time. If you have $100 or less, you will receive a misdemeanor and typically no jail time and probably just a fine. Um, there is also the use of food stamps for items that are not designated for actual food, such as tobacco, alcohol, and paper products. And to combat all this illegal use, the government and state governments has implemented policies to better screen for those, that, to make sure people are more qualified and the right people are getting the food stamps so they won't sell them. Um, moving from more of a broad sense of food stamps, we're going to tie it into Georgia's food stamp policy as it relates to many of us and we might see it in our everyday lives through just being out in society.
Um, Georgia's system works now on an EBT card, and um, Georgia's EBT is uploaded to the user on a monthly basis. Um, like all states, Georgia is also susceptible to fraud, and it is using a more diligent system to determine those in need most need in most need of assistance. Now, the second issue of this, um, along with financial instability, is the lack of financial literacy associated with low-income households, which in turn causes food insecurity. The growing financial instability has caused families across America to oftentimes make poor food choices for the sake of feeding them and their families. Along with this, the food insecurity associated with financial burden is an increasing reason fraud is being committed as so many families can get more food stamps in an effort to keep their families fed. Now, one potential solution to this is to create more public awareness programs which could begin educating people on budgeting money for food and allocating food stamps in a better way to last longer periods of time. I think creating an education system, potentially in public schools or an online program for adults, would aid in educating people on how to effectively budget money for food. With, this, with a successful way to budget money, it might be possible to afford, to afford healthier food options over a longer duration of time. Once a compre- I feel once a comprehensive program is established for budgeting money for food, all that's left is an education system on what kinds of food are healthy and how to access those foods to promote a more positive and healthy lifestyle. Although there are many struggles with SNAP, food stamps, EBT, um, and everything in between, I feel that um, it is an attainable goal to solve that problem. Through combating financial instability, through programs that show how to manage and budget money in a more productive way, I feel that productive financial literacy will improve and subsequently will lead to more healthy choices and better lifestyles being established with proper access to food. Food access is also directly correlated to the average income level of a given area. Typically, areas of low income see a lower density of grocery stores as compared to higher income areas. In one study, research scientists at the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity compared the availability and price of foods in neighborhoods of various income levels in New Haven, Connecticut. Their data showed that of the 75 food outlets that were examined, those that were located in lower income neighborhoods had a significantly lower variety of healthy food options available, such as low fat milk, whole grain fruits, and fresh produce as compared to the stores in wealthy areas. The produce that is available tends to be lower in quality as well. Consequently, this leads to people in low-income areas purchasing unhealthy foods. Unhealthy foods are also more accessible. According to the Food Trust, low-income areas have 30% more convenience stores than other areas. Convenience stores typically have high-calorie snack foods and lack healthy options further contributing to the poor diet and health of these residents. Another problem is just the overall amount of supermarkets. A study done by the United States Department of Agriculture showed that there are over 410 rural counties where all residents live over 10 miles away from a supermarket. Without proper transportation means, people are still unable to have the access they need. Fast food restaurants are closer and more accessible. Most people would rather go buy a quick meal than drive far to go get ingredients and spend time making one. 
All of these factors, along with numerous others, lead to the concepts of food deserts. The USDA defines food deserts as geographic regions of the country where there is limited access and availability to fresh and nutritious foods. So how do we fix this? Well, for starters, the most obvious solution is to build more supermarkets, but this isn't a simple feat. If there were national or statewide incentives in place for supermarkets to move into rural areas, the amount of food deserts would begin to dwindle. People would have access to healthy foods that they may not have been able to get. The next step would be to provide public transportation methods, allowing people to travel out of their food desert and access nutritious food. This is critical for rural communities where supermarkets are sparsely dispersed. In communities where transportation is not a problem, another hindrance is getting healthy foods into places that lack them, like convenience stores. Nutritious foods tend to be more expensive, so stores struggle to get people to buy them. Because of this, stores stop carrying them to save inventory costs. An incentive has to be created to make healthy food options more appealing to both producer and consumer, otherwise people will continuously choose the cheaper, less nutritious foods, or even fast food. One possibility is government incentives for farmers to grow crops which will drive down production costs, making it cheaper for consumers. Another possibility is marketing genetically modified organisms, or GMOs, as viable alternatives to organic foods. There's a lot of debate about whether GMOs are harmful or not, but most people have misconceptions about them. GMOs haven't been concretely proven to be detrimental to health, but they have been shown to increase crop yield, decrease the need for pesticides and herbicides, and decrease the amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Studies have shown that pesticide use has dropped by 37%. Another study showed that in just 2016, growing GMOs reduced CO2 emissions equivalent to taking 16.7 million cars off the road for an entire year. Buying GMOs can be cheaper than organic products while still getting all the required nutrition. Implementing some of these strategies is necessary to increase the accessibility of healthy foods for people in food deserts. But people still need to be informed on what foods to eat and how much. That directly correlates with education. So now that we've um, gone over the disparities in food access, we're going to dive into the importance of education, of healthy nutrition, and the importance it brings to maintaining proper health in the society. So education about healthy nutrition is important for both adults and children, but it's especially important to children because it affects how you know he or she will lead their life for the remainder of it. So um, it's important for them especially because it leads them to you know create that base of a healthy lifestyle and um, affect their choices that he or she will make for the rest of their life that will ultimately um, cause them to you know have that healthy happy and productive life and health um, especially now with our current situation COVID-19 has made it so apparent that healthy people are less at risk and obesity and overall poor nutrition does make the virus more dangerous and even and potentially fatal so um, having that like really good immune system, being healthy, eating nutrition, nutritious food is so important, especially now. So there are a couple solutions we have for this issue. So one would be, you know, uh, making it more important to educate kids in health class about healthy eating, 
um, during the Obama administration, Michelle Obama, the first lady, she did, you know, start this initiative of healthy eating and the importance of having nutritious foods and what a um, healthy meal is uh, comprised of. So since then, there's been a couple more initiatives um, like Michelle Obama. So one being projecthealthyschools.org, which is kind of like a discussion of pre-existing organizations designed to educate parents and children on body health as well as healthy foods. Um, So there is a difference between malnourished and healthy. So I think it's really important to teach like the anatomy of the body and the organs and how fat and other things are present in the body and how those things are important to maintaining a healthy lifestyle through exercise and proper diet. There are two ends of the stick. There's, um, you know, obesity and there's malnourishment. So both are really bad. And, you know, we have to educate kids that neither extreme is good for you. And there has to be a balance in between. You cannot be malnourished. Um, but at the same time, you cannot be eating so much that you lead yourself to obesity. So another solution would be to educate parents via like meetings on healthy nutrition. So in addition to teaching others about the importance of nutrition, a main group that we should be focusing on is parents. Um, obviously, a child follows whatever their parents do. They are highly influenced by their parents. Their parents are basically their role models. So parents have the job of teaching their kids of what is right and wrong about all topics, but especially healthy eating. Children mimic their parents and believe basically whatever they do is right. Um, so whatever a parent teaches their children early on is basically what a child will continue to develop and um, like what habits he or she will practice like later in their life so educating parents should be the start of it all Um, so obviously there's a commute there is a communal sense to promote healthy lifestyles and a positive way of life and this is really like positive Um, this is pretty vital to bringing an overall change to the public um, most notably are like social norms that are as simple as a friends encouraging you to eat healthier or exercise more or, you know, Facebook groups that um, promote like healthy eating or just going to the gym more often. So um, this kind of correlates to the ideas discussed in solution one about like, you know, education of healthy um healthy eating in the sense that like if everyone understands what good health is social interactions between people on like the basis of health will prevail to promote a healthy lifestyle and kind of a desire to be healthy for everyone um and oneself so um there is like there are differences in poor eating and good eating so what's poor eating and what's good eating um so and how that how does that affect children for generations to come so children adapt the same eating patterns taught to them by their parents which we did just mention but there's also another factor um, that mothers while pregnant have an effect on the baby's nutritional health so as we all know when in the womb the mother supplies the nutrition for the baby there are many studies showing that a poor diet of the mother can cause chronic health issues like obesity, cardiovascular issues in the child um, before they're even born. So undernutrition babies by the mother can cause them to be highly energy deficient, you know, and later after they are born, even cause them to overeat, leading to obesity. So this trend 
that an unhealthy, overweight mother gives birth to a child with the same characteristics is very likely. And there are multiple studies showing this and proving this. So, um, uh, so there needs to be kind of um, healthier food options in schools because this not only um, you know benefits the child in the long run with you know their physical um, their physical health, but it also benefits their you know mental predict productivity, their mood, and a bunch of other factors that aren't necessarily physiological. So, obviously, healthy food options in school can be associated with a healthier student. Um, you know, leads them to being more focused, have higher energy, and basically a better nu- nourishment. So, um, there are many negative effects associated with the poor meal plan, you know, which can include malnourishment because they just don't want to eat that food because it's not, you know, I guess nutritious for them or they feel grossed out by it. Um, but also, there's also overweight, which can be a result of unhealthy food options in school, you know, and this leads to drowsiness, lack of energy, and overall focus. So there's a solution for this that is already implemented in New York as well as many other states, which is the State Education Department created a guidance document foundation aid, which, you know, is kind of um, helps, but it's a document that helps schools throughout the state budget funds in an attempt to make more healthy food options available. And um, the USDA also plans to initiate and incorporate a complete list of steps to implement and serve healthier food options to schools. And so, obviously, this is going to have a huge positive change on many children and their lives, especially to students who, you know, um, depend on these meals provided by the school because they don't really get meals at home. So this could be like low income kids um, who come to school to get breakfast and lunch. So this will also have a major um, positive impact on them. As you can see that this matter is very important and has many factors. A lot of these solutions are way over our heads because we can't really build more grocery stores ourselves, but you can be updated with your local government and help find ways to easily access healthier food. In addition, there are many ways to improve your health along with others locally. You can first practice healthy eating habits and if you have kids, help them adapt to some as well. Opt for healthier options instead of high sugar, carbs, and fats in a lot of processed food. There are many options that can fit a low budget. Learn how to cook because when you cook your own food, it tends to be healthier. And lastly, when eating out, you don't always have to get the most unhealthy option. Get one that's more filling and nutritious. Teaching others about nutrition and budgeting in families and in school settings is a very important step in advocating for healthier lifestyle. We want to thank you for listening and we hope you can use this information to better your local communities and families.